0: Hey, farmers and landowners, this is Damian Mason coming at you with a question. Have you ever had disease or pest problems cost you money by reducing your yield? Well, of course you have. We fight this, right? That's what production agriculture is all about, is working as best we can to put out a great yield. And to do so, oftentimes, you've got to overcome disease and pests. The problem is we usually treat those diseases and pests after the problem, right? So what if you could do it proactively? What if you had a tool that gave you predictive analytics? so that you would know if you have things like corn rootworm, uh, soybean cyst nematode, sudden death syndrome. Well, you have that tool now. It's from Pattern Ag. Pattern Ag doing predictive soil analytics way beyond just the old days of sticking a probe in the ground every few acres and saying, hey, wow, we got some nitrogen deficiency here. They'll let you know if you have pests and disease. Go to Pattern.ag. That's www.pattern.ag to learn more about this awesome technology and how it can help you increase your yields by taking care of diseases and pests before they cause you harm you <laughs> <laughs> Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture. Today, we're talking about crop inputs, ag retail, all the stuff that gets put on America's fields and even Canada's fields. Because I know we have some listeners up there, oh Canada, and we're going to talk about how the future of that looks. You know, we buy a lot of stuff. We put it on our fields. We are changing our mix of stuff, less chemistry per acre, uh, more dollars spent per acre because these inputs are going up and now they've come back down a little bit. We also have mergers consolidations at the farm level and at the ag retail level and at the manufacturer level. How will this impact the industry? What does the future look like? I've got two experts that have been in the ag inputs biz their entire career. I've got Galen Beer and I've got Brian Wall. They are both with AgroLiquid. AgroLiquid's a past client of mine. I said, hey, guys, why don't you come on here and share your wisdom and outlook. So first off about your company, you're not one of the big six, which now became the big four. Um, You are, you get a unique little niche out here. I would say you're headquartered in a town in Michigan. You've got a really cool looking headquarters and you do project work and whatnot. Like with my friends over at extreme ag, what about the, what's the deal with agro liquid? Brian, you told me you came to work here 21 years ago. Why did you kind of work for agroliquid 21 years ago, and what does agroliquid do?
1: Yeah, well, m- my history and background has been in agronomy, and agroliquid has a focus on soil fertility. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there that that uh, have a lot of different product offerings. Agroliquid's focus is on uh, nutrients and how to get those nutrients into a plant. Um, in 1983, Doug Cook and Troy Bancroft, the founders of our organization, started uh, Agro Liquid Fertilizer. And we're now currently in the third generation of that with Troy's sons uh, at the helm of Agro So, you know, just a little, little bit of background. Uh, in 1983, we incorporated uh, and we've grown our business to this point that we're across the United States as
0: well as into other countries. So, Galen, the, um, the product mix is all about soil fertility. So when we talk about chemistry, we talk about biologicals. That's not in the wheelhouse, at least not right now, for agroliquid, right?
2: Yeah, we're focused on plant nutrition. And, you know, anything you do every day of your life, you tend to get better at. And that's kind of what we do at AgroLiquid is we live and breathe crop nutrition you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And that—and that's just so really when it comes down to it, we're selling our intellectual capital through those nutrients. We're helping the growers figure out what they need, what will pay them dividends.
0: Um, fertility. Uh, we talk about this and ag a lot. In the old days, NPK, you soil testing was new in the 1950s. By the time I was a kid growing up in the 70s, I imagine that somebody came out, probably from the co-op, uh, stuck a probe in the ground in one of our fields and then went to another field, stuck a probe in the ground. Now we're doing it on two and a half acre grids or even one acre grids and we're doing it better. What does it look like in your history how I think we're better at it and we're not just flinging shit everywhere like we used to? We used to say, hey, go fertilize that. Uh, I just give us a little evolution on how much better we are now on a dollars per acre. We're, We're putting probably more stuff on than we used to, but less of it per acre and getting way more bang for the buck. Give me some history on that. Either of you.
1: Galen, I'll let you take it. You're the economist. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I think there's always a perception that uh, farmers are out there just putting all this fertilizer on because we can. And it, it, it's got to pay back, Damien, you know that. And so to your point on the soil test is we've actually we learned that, OK, if you're just going to apply nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium, sometimes you get those things out of balance and maybe the plant luxury consumes those, we found that those additions of those more subtle nutrients like zinc and manganese and iron, they actually get in there and they can leverage your results that you get from that N, P, and K. So over time, that transition as well. Wow. I don't need 1.3 pounds of nitrogen produced to produce a bushel of corn. Some guys are down to 0.6. I mean, that's probably the low side. But the point is, is you had these other things that were limiting before to that nitrogen. All of a sudden, you don't have to over apply that nitrogen. And soil tests are helping us do a better job of that.
0: It's remarkable. You just gave a big spread there that we used to think we had to put 1.3 pounds of nitrogen on for every bushel. Is that what the number you just, the conversion just gave us? And and we can actually do half of that. And because we have everything else in balance. So again, as we always point out, we're actually using less resource per calorie produced. And is that because we just added other stuff? Because one of the big, you don't sell nitrogen per se. When I buy a tanker truck full (laughs) of Dry fertilizer. That's not what agri-liquid sells, Brian. You do if, if I said I want a train car full of uh, of uh, dry fertilizer and fling on my alfalfa field, you'd say can't help you, right?
1: That's that's correct. And you know, to your point, um, that reduction in, in use rate. A same pound of nitrogen is going to produce a pound of corn. All right, we've we, we've we've understood what the removal rate of that is for a crop. Uh, the problem with it is, as you go out and apply a nutrient, there's other things that affect the ability of that plant to see and utilize that nutrient. So what we're able to do and what Galen's talking to by, uh, by utilizing other nutrients to enhance um, the uptake of a nutrient or the utilization of that nutrient into the plant, that's what AgriLiquid specializes in. So being able to take some of those environmental aspects that make a nitrogen or a phosphorus inefficient, if we can make that product more efficient, we can apply less material and get more uh, bang for our buck or ROI on the dollar spent.
0: So if I buy an agri-liquid product, Galen, what am I buying? It is it is nitrogen. It's not nitrogen. It's not this dry stuff that I buy by the tons, right? Right. What, we, we don't have single nutrients, you know, like, uh, you know,
2: just a UAN that's only nitrogen with a bunch of zeros after it or things like that. We have contained within our nitrogen product other nutrients that are going to help it perform better. So you get the sulfur, some zinc, some manganese, and iron you get so that that you're you're building chlorophyll in that plant so it's using the energy that it gets from the sun more efficiently which helps it use nutrients more. Often.
0: And when I just described, you know, flinging uh these tons of stuff out there, your stuff comes in a little jug. It's not it's not like I'm I'm not handling this uh in bulk like dry fertilizer.
2: We do go by uh semis and and rail cars in a lot of cases but i mean th- th- that's so we can do a lot of acres like there is still scale to what we do even though we kind of have a wider scope of nutrients we do still operate on scale uh but some of your micronutrients especially your micronutrients that aren't used as widely like uh uh, you'll hear a lot about liberate calcium, or maybe some guys are branching out into molybdenum. Those are generally in jugs, and you're adding those as needed.
0: Most of your stuff goes on at planting time, and then you also have stuff that goes on and gets dropped next to the next to the plant after it's immersed. Right?
2: Correct. Yeah, I, that's the other thing that we try to do is you know use some chelating processes that, I believe it or not. When you're applying fertilizer, it's that spoonful of sugar, sort of, because fertilizer can be harmful. You go out and plop down a bunch of uh, a large amount of dry fertilizer and get some heat. You're actually going to put that plant in stress. So we do some things the way we chelate actually makes it safer for that plant to consume those nutrients so that you don't induce stress in the process of feeding it.
0: I want to talk about products and the product mix has changed um we use more stuff uh, my involvement now with extreme ag has taught me about boron and calcium and zinc and molybdenum and the ones that you just already talked about what do we um what are we talking about with all this stuff and when did it come about i mean in the old days you just went out and flinged out your mac- macronutrients when did we start getting better about realizing you can use less macronutrients if you have these trace mineral or these trace nutrients in here micros you'll get a big, huge bang for your buck. When did we start figuring that out?
1: You know, it's the same time timeframe uh, as we started going from open pollinated corn to hybrid corn. You know, guys started realizing that there's technology that we can use out there um, to get better yields, more consistent yields uh, and, and better performance. So as we've progressed over the years, uh, guys that have found out that there's a Liebig's law of minimums. So I can put all the nitrogen out there that I want to, I can put all the phosphorus out there, potassium, but if it's boron, that's limiting my overall ability to maximize the potential of that crop, I have to have a little bit of boron put into that mix. So I think over the years, just research trials and shooting for higher yields.
0: But it's changed, in my opinion, in the last decade. Am I right about this, Galen? In the last decades when we started saying, because who the hell ever thought, thought yeah, man, you just got to get some zinc and throw it out there, or, you know, sulfur.
2: Yeah, you kind of hit your own plateaus in that 200 bushel of the acre mark in corn. Everyone sat there for a bit until someone busts that. And it's like breaking the four-minute mile. Oh, what are the little things we got to mm-hmm. do to do that? And we started discovering Oh wait! Uh, We didn't even test for zinc before on a uh, soil test, and now I got a response from it. Maybe I should actually test my fields to see if it's in there. I have no doubt that the first, you know, kind of the pioneers of these outlier nutrients were probably talked about at the coffee shop and how Mm -hmm. how there they were. Now it's mainstream because you filter through all of those nutrients and you start finding which ones. It takes someone doing that. You work with Extreme Ag and it takes guys like that, you know, doing eight foliar applications in a day that say, hey, five of them worked, three of them did, not whatever. And that's how you kind of start measuring and having some sort of basis for a grower to make a decision on.
0: Brian, you've been you were an independent agronomist or working for someone else for five or six years. You've been with this company for 21 years. Before I hit the record button, I said, I want to ask you about biologicals. So they look like the next iteration in ag, but I also was a kid when somebody was driving down the main street in my hometown of Huntington, Indiana for a parade advertising biologicals. And I said, what is that stuff? And my dad said, snake oil. And that was 50, 45 years ago. Um, we're not there anymore. We know that that's not necessarily true. We also know that the market's got a hell of a lot of biologicals biologicals out there um give me your take on the biological space
1: yeah I, I personally think from the standpoint of uh soil health we have to soil biology is extremely important there is a lot of different uh, uh biological strains out there that we know have specific attributes that are going to benefit you know bacillus subtilis bacillus amyloliquefaciens. you can go down a whole list of them um the issues are finding out which ones are going to be most successful in your field. And one of my, you know, historically, uh, we've had biologicals have a year or two of great success. And then all of a sudden, they kind of lose some, some uh, uh, revenue uh, from that standpoint of ROI. And then another one comes along, and it's the hottest thing. What we have yet to figure out, I think, as an industry is exactly what we need by field type, by soils, um, in order to maximize that. But we also, you just talked about how we weren't using micronutrients in the past and we are today. Do I think it's the wave of the future? I think that there's a lot of play in biologicals in the future. Do we understand them fully now? I don't believe we do. So we're going to continue to work on that as an industry.
0: Galen, you're, you're a tick higher up on the chain there at Agroliquid. So answer me this. You don't do chemistry, you do fertilizer. You don't do biologicals now. Our agri liquids is agri liquid's future going to involve biologicals? We, we You're closer would. to the CEO's office than Brian is. That's why I asked you. Do you do you do you put your ear to the wall when he's on conference calls and say, "Oh, <laughs>
2: oh agri liquid biologicals? Well, I, I will tell you this: it, we will do them if there's value in them, and so we will vet them, and we will be comfortable that we can recommend them in a way that provides value. I think what and, and you know this, Damien. You've been out and kind of been in some fields with us and things. We like to see that consistency that that Brian talked about there. And if there's been an enemy to biologicals, it's you can get a biological to do something great and it gets you excited. The, the problem is it's easy to go over generalize that to everyone mm-hmm. and then everyone doesn't see it and then your dad calls it snake oil yeah. and that and that's how you arrive at that so if we're going to introduce them it's not going to be a snake oil it's going to be that we understand where they're needed in that value value they're going to provide
0: to that group. there's a there's a reality also about repeatability um about uh, consistency um you know it's one thing to it's one thing to go out and have a, a huge you know a huge flash and then flash in the pan in other words but can you consistently and repeatably do that because now you're talking about a lot of money it's one thing to experiment with something and it's you know a ten dollar experiment per acre and you're like okay we're going to try this on a small trial but do you start going crazy with that the big six, and I'm talking about Dow, DuPont, uh, BASF, Bayer, Syngenta, and whom am I missing here? Oh, Monsanto. Uh, they tied up about, what, in the last five to ten years um, and became the big four. There's a lot of consolidation that happens in agriculture. Um, Liquids kind of its own little player out here. Uh, you didn't become part of the big four. Do you guys uh, do you guys benefit from being on your own, or do you get head do you get hunted all the time? Is there somebody trying to buy you all the time? What's it like being in this sort of, I don't know, independent niche, if you will? Well,
2: I, no doubt, I'm sure that people come knocking on the door. They'll knock on my office, Damien. I'll tell you that they don't
0: come to you uh,
2: office door. So I don't know. I can't answer that a hundred percent for you. But the, the reality is, a lot of companies of ours have been absorbed into some of those bigger companies, so I'm sure those conversations have taken place. But I, to us, uh, I, I mean, you can you can see that consolidation might benefit some things from a scale standpoint. But I think what you're going to find in a lot of these, and you see it in genetics and corn, and we see it in co- uh, crop nutrition, is actually you leverage your intellectual capital and your products by localizing those more. So I can make a case that fertilizer should not be scaled that this thing works across all of the United States it should be more localized that here's what works in California in the San Joaquin Valley here's what works in uh, Ellsworth Kansas mm-hmm. and they might be different and you can't some things just can't be scaled I actually can make a case you're going to get more value by the way we're interacting with that grower
0: Brian, I'm going to give you a, I, I think that's cool because you're saying you can localize the, you can localize what the results are and then give a better prescription by being in a, in a more nimble. Would you say it because of an your nimbility? that's not a word. You're more nimble. It, it, yeah, flexibility.
1: yeah, We have the flexibility of moving uh, a little fat at a little faster pace. When you talk about the big four and they want to make a change, it's going to take them. I mean, they got to get 400 people to sign off on it before they can kind of make a change in the technology or this, that, and the other. Uh, we have the flexibility because of our because of the size of our organization uh, to be a little more flexible uh, and, and and reactive to what the market allows us to do. I'll so, use a for instance, and I'm Miracle uh, Grow. Miracle Grow is in every uh, Walmart uh, store out there, or whatever. Retail, ye like
0: sure, ye. right? I, I, I want to use it to grow my tomatoes or whatever.
1: Yeah, so the same Miracle Grow that is used in Iowa uh, is that the right blend of nutrients that are needed in California, or we have the flexibility to uh, take our products and formulate them for a geography. Uh, especially when it comes to the fact that you've got areas of high rainfall and you've got areas of very arid climates. Mm -hmm. They change in their needs. So we have that flexibility to do that.
0: But We're going to go on. So I got lots and lots of stuff for you. But before we move on, uh, we've already mentioned it twice. And I want to mention it for the people that are listening to this podcast. If you like what we're doing and what we're talking about here, make sure you check out the work we're doing over Extreme Ag. Uh, In fact, we're doing trials for this very company, AgriLiquid. But we're doing trials for a lot of companies. And we're also talking to progressive success-minded business-oriented forward-thinking farm operations from throughout North America. And by checking that out, you'll see what's happening in farms, in North America that are leading the pack. So go to extreme ag. There's no E on the front of it. It's just the letter X extreme farm and check out all the cool stuff. I've released over a hundred, uh, and some 120 videos and podcasts over there. So go t- check it out. If you want to know what's happening in agriculture, even if you are not a farmer, you will benefit by seeing what we're doing over there. Um, Consolidation of the big companies seems inevitable because we are in a mature industry, as it might be called. Also, there's consolidation at the farm level in the 1930s, as I wrote in my book, Food Fear in the 1930s, we hit peak farm. I think it was eight point two or eight and a half million farms in the United States. Now there's two million farms. But of that two million farms. Only about 174,000 of them farm more than 1,000 acres. In other words, Liquids' customer base is really about hundred to 200,000 business entities in this whole country. And probably in, the, in Canada is probably more like 20,000 or so up there. This consolidation thing is interesting. Your take on what it means for you, Galen. Yeah, I, I still see opportunity for us in
2: there. I You know, as you get consolidation, you have fewer and fewer customers. So they obviously have some leverage and they're, they're obviously going to try to use that. But I'll tell you what, if if you're good at your job and you're provide, providing good value to those guys, these guys, the larger they get, also the more irons they have in the fire the more tractors they got to think about buying, the more folks they got to recruit to come work on that farm, which isn't easy. They are not going to have the ability to think about each individual aspect of that. And that's where I see opportunity for someone like Agro Liquid and and our sharp guys in the field can go in there and, and kind of fill that void for them. And it gives you a good opportunity to form that strong relationship, almost partnering with that guy. If you can prove yourself to be trusted, Even though they have leverage, you will have some leverage as well, because you can fill in some of those gaps that they may not be getting filled in themselves.
0: Brian, that's that's a very good answer, Galen. And in fact, that's what my advice would be, if anyone has me, these larger operations will have a bigger bat to swing. They get more courting. They get more calls. They get more everybody or sister bangs on their door. They get invited to more events, but if your product stands on its own and you know what the hell you're doing, you then align yourself as their business partner who can be trusted to take hassles off of their shoulders and provide them solutions that are profitable. And I guess that would be my uh, might be my five-second sales training uh, motivational speech to anybody that you hired. Brian, you're in the field more than Galen even. What do you think?
1: I think you hit it straight on the head. Um, that is where we find our position in the market. As I said before, you know, you've got a lot of individuals out there that that have to know a little bit about a lot of different aspects. You take a farm manager, they have to know a, a little bit about a lot of the farm. Right. But can they be experts on soil fertility? Can no. they understand every new product that comes to the market? They can't. So they're gonna be relying on a company like ourselves they're Mm -hmm. going to be able to be the resource to give them that that information. And that's that's our goal.
0: You say, all right, this is best in furrows is best in two by two. Do I go over fully or am I putting on the wide drop? So what's my rate per acre? What was your actual tell me a trial and tell me when it flopped? And then, are you guys honest enough, by the way, if I ask you, hey, have you ever had this flop and why? You'll say, yeah, here's what we know. Don't do this. Do you answer me that question sincerely?
1: Absolutely. In fact, we've got uh, win rates. You know, That's one of the things that our company does and spends a little time with is, is figuring out, okay, well, we get a win rate. Where did we get the win and where did we get the loss? That, sometimes the loss is more important than the win. Uh, We're not to position something.
0: I've got a question for both of you, Belstor and Galen. I'm going to be speaking on September 14th in Kansas City to your resellers, your retailers, the people that sell your product on to me, the farmer. And um, I'm going to be talking to these people. And a question that I've gotten and a question that you're going to get, isn't ag retail going to die because of the Amazon effect? Tell me why. Uh, Whoever got the best answer for this, is ag retail going to die? Brian, you talked about it before we even went live. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I personally don't feel like, uh, I think there's room in, in in the industry for all of those types of businesses. You know, the guys that are buying stuff, like you say, on the Amazon, the internet type of purchases. But ultimately, the growers are looking for resources. They're looking for resources and knowledge uh, in, in being able to position products. Uh, let's be honest, things don't work perfectly every time. Who's going to be there to go out there and help them assess what happened, what they need to do different in the future. And when you're buying something on the internet, it's pretty difficult to find that individual to get a hold of.
0: Galen, I'm going to stick with this because I know that you're going to send this episode out to all of the people that are going to be at that Kansas City meeting. And I look forward to meeting them. And again, I'm not being mean. I'm just posing the devil's advocate or more <coughs> I'm asking, I'm re-asking a question that I get asked. Is ag retail for grandpa? Is Ag Retail where grandpa went and drank coffee at the at the co-op or at the uh, at, at Bob and John uh, and their blue flame? Uh, uh, you know, they, they is, is it the old days or is it still going to be the future? I can make a case both ways.
2: You could. And I, I think you will see some uh, Amazon type selling of some products. I'll tell you, though, where I think it doesn't go that way for us and for our attendees at that conference have to take this to heart as well as fertilizer is nearly 20% of a corn farmer's investment that mm-hmm. goes on that acre. When he is making that significant of an investment, it's not like buying a drill off of Amazon or a TV off of Amazon. This is an economic decision. Right. Where does my $200 dollar, investment return me money? And does it continue to return at that pace at 250 He will seek advice from crop consultants, from trusted nutrition advisors. And yes, might he go to the internet as you know a reference as to where the price of things are? Sure. But that doesn't mean he's going to hold you to that price. If you're demonstrating that you can show him that you can help him be more profitable, he will allow you to make a you know, a profit from that. He's willing to pay for
0: that. I've, I've fashioned it. And again, and and I know that they're going to be listening to this before I'm on stage. And in no way am I, a, I was an intern for DuPont, you know, that's about my experience with ag retail. I think there's going to be ag retailers that decide that they are <laughs> sim- simply a conduit uh, and a warehouse. Uh, there's going to be others that ex- that become experts on, um, on agronomic consultation. And there's probably going to be some that become experts on uh, business partnering, if you will. But um, certainly it's the landscape is, and has to change from what it was in the old days when you went to the, you know, you went to the co-op and get yourself a Chocola out of the, am I dating myself a chalk cola for 20 cents out of the pop machine? Anyway, he definitely um, did what makes agro liquids product different. And I'm not going to, I don't want you to pitch me. I just want you to tell me this because I'm going to start off by saying this, Brian, you're the guy out there in the field. We already heard from Galen about retail. We don't make him, we don't make him the bad guy twice in a row. Fertilizer is fertilizer chemical valence or chemical I can look at a I can look the same argument corn syrup is different than other sugars I'm like I don't know if you look at them from a chemical equation it looks to me like fructose is fructose sucrose glucose it's all it's is fertilizer fertilizer I will tell you
1: from a nutrient standpoint a pound of nitrogen is a pound of nitrogen once it's into the plant what we do different your question was what makes agro liquid successful and what makes us different from other fertilizer sources out there. What we do is take some of those chemical reactions, some of those environmental efficiencies, inefficiencies, excuse me, and we take care of them at a manufacturer standpoint. The thing that we do different than a lot of other companies is we take and pay attention to what can have a negative effect on that nutrient moving into the plant. So how can we be more efficient at the nutrients that we're applying?
2: Is fertilizer just fertilizer, Galen? No, uh, you know, and to build on Brian's point, there you you can leverage that nutrient to do more. We've already talked about earlier in this podcast. We're yeah. doing it already. Yeah. And so every every company, and and what we focus on is making sure that we're getting that nutrient out there in a superior fashion. In other words, neutralizing some of the elements that work against it in that soil, but also adding some of those little things that make it work better when it's in the plant.
0: In the future. Aren't we going to use less of everything per calorie or bushel produced than we do currently because we're going to get better at the genetics and get better at the research, get better at the timing and get better at the understanding of the soil? Aren't we going to use less of all products per calorie or per bushel produced moving forward? If history
1: repeats itself, absolutely. I mean, you're looking at what we're doing right now. Galen spoke to it earlier. We moved from 1.2 pounds of nitrogen per bushel of corn to some guys were using down to 0.6 pounds of nitrogen. So it, it
0: comes to a point to where. Technically he said 1.3, but I yeah. just, I didn't, I didn't want to be the guy that was like. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. So, so yeah, historically that's been the case. Do we get to where we run out of our ability to be more efficient? I don't think that we do for a long while. And I think that's because of soil, but you can tell me, and our understanding of it, but go ahead, Brian.
1: No, I think that's exactly it. We've, we've moved so fast in the last decade Uh, With our understanding of soil nutrients and application methods, um, the technology with getting those nutrients applied has improved drastically in the last decade. I think we'll continue to do that. And I think we'll continue to move that mark. What also moves along with it, though, is our yields. And you see people that are out there hitting benchmarks that are huge.
0: Yeah. uh, soil still the great unknown it is still the, you know, what they say at the beginning of star Trek, uh, you know, the explore where no one has been before and all that kind of stuff. We've been there for a long time. Hell we started agriculture 10,000 years ago, but there's still some ungodly amount of bacterias in the soil that we haven't even identified. And we're just now 10,000 years into the agricultural evolution, figuring some stuff out. Galen, isn't soil really where all the, the cool stuff's going to be figured out in the next couple of decades?
2: Yeah, it, it is. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about biologicals. And I, I think the reason biologicals is complex is that understanding of that soil. Maybe there's a microbe in that soil that, really isn't functioning that should be or maybe we're starving it to death because we haven't added something as simple as copper or nickel or cobalt. I don't know, maybe it's something that we figure out over the next de- decade or whatever. We're kind of focused on what microbes do we add to the soil and that may be the answer. But I, to your point is there's so much we don't know because we might discover, oh wait, all those guys are out there what we're not doing is giving them the right diet so that they can give the plant the right diet. So I, I, you know, I think we just have a lot to learn uh, over the next several decades.
0: Does that excite you, Brian? Cause it excites me as a, and then I'm not a pure soil geek. I know you got agronomists. I work with them. Uh, Molly. <laughs> She's a handful. Uh, Stephanie, agronomy person. I wanted to be an agronomist, and it was just a little too much on the science for me. So I can almost geek out on this, but I kind of get excited about the future because I put it in my book. I really believe that the best practices of organic meet the best practices of conventional with some of the concepts of regenerative, and they all work together. They'll never agree, and the zealots from each will never, ever agree, but we're going to keep finding these practices or findings from some of this and keep combining them into a better snowball. Am I right about that, Brian? Can you imagine being the first
1: guy to no-till? The first guy that went out there and said, you know, I'm not going to put that plow in the ground, I'm going to just go ahead and plant and look to where where we're at today. That, that one practice has changed the way that we farm in a lot of country. I think that that continually changes as we, as we move forward, we learn more about the soils. We learn more about the biology. We learn and get better at application methods. Um, there's certain things out there that just over time we will get better at. High speed planters are going right now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just things that we're getting better at as we get as we go farther into this.
2: What are we getting worse at, Galen? We talk about lots of stuff we're getting better at. Are we getting worse at anything? Well, we're, we're getting worse at, you know, assuming that we can just plan today and get it tomorrow. And, and I, I'm kind of referring a little bit here to how the supply chain has worked. We did get accustomed to make a decision today, act on it tomorrow. And, and this hurt you and this hurt you
0: guys because you are inputs and your inputs are coming from all over. We have a global economy and all of a sudden you couldn't get what your customers needed, and your customers never had experienced when they couldn't just pick up the phone and have what they wanted tomorrow. Is that what I'm hearing?
2: Yeah, that's what you're hearing is complacency. You know, we just got to hey, I need a hundred pounds of nitrogen, and it was almost at your doorstep and in two hours. And all of a sudden, when we can't get that, it causes us to go back and say, okay, we got to build some buffering into this whole supply chain side. Now we do that through encouraging guys to soil test in the fall so that Mm -hmm. we can start getting a jump on that sort Mm -hmm. of thing.
0: Yeah. So they're not last minute. You know, you talk about the customer relationship, and I uh, I had a question here for you. Um, You guys are pretty innovative about marketing and i guess what's the best way brian if you want to reach out to customers how how do you think how do you think you do a a good job or how do you think that you still struggle because we all do how should you be reaching your prospective customers and there's going to be less of them tomorrow as we talked about through consolidation how do you find them
1: well i'll tell you that's one thing that a company like agro liquid is going to struggle with all the time We have a market that we fit very well in. And does every grower uh, resonate to the story we tell, the products that we utilize? Not necessarily because they don't farm in the same manner that maybe we work with. Um, But we have a fit with everybody. Mm -hmm. How do we get that information to them? We're a company that's across the United States and a couple other countries. Uh, We have a very large footprint, but yet we don't have the marketing capabilities that other companies uh, that are on a larger scale do.
0: Well, I'm going to throw this at you though. You do stuff like sponsor, uh, extreme Ag, etc. They might have a lot more money, but they might also be putting it in print media that goes to my mom's farm and she's 90 years old and hadn't bought an ag input for 50 years. Is that just spending or is it investing when you're putting marketing to people that, you know, the old thing, tree in a forest, if you market, vegan tofu that is enhanced with Pepsi, Cola, to me, you can spend a million dollars trying to sell me that shit and I'm not going to buy it anyhow. So, you know, is it, is marketing good just because it's got the spend behind it? That's the kind of thing you got to ask. And I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, For us, for us, our big deal is we've got a good story to tell. Our products are unique. Uh, They they provide an answer and a solution for the grower. Working with those innovators in the marketplace is important. And I'll let Galen speak to it, but
2: Yeah, I mean, and you grew up on a farm, you probably understand the analogy of whether you're spraying or applying fertilizer, you're putting that through a screen. And obviously, you know, you don't want to put it through a 20 mesh screen. For someone like us, we want to put it through a 150 mesh screen. We want to find, to Brian's point, if we can screen out those folks that are like, no, just give me the cheapest pound of nitrogen, I don't care if it's urea or or anhydrous. And we can kind of get in our still in our tank that passes through the 150 mesh screen, the guy that says no. I want to do everything I can on that acre, and I want you to help me with that. That's how we got to get there. And marketing's tricky. You got to be able to, how do you make 150 mesh screen to find that customer?
0: So, you know, that's an important thing right there. You've already admitted that the person that wants cheapest is not your customer. And I think all all folks should get better about that. Lori actually gives me compliments. Uh, She says, you do a pretty good job of understanding what you sell. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that a lot of folks, they still don't know. They know they want right. to have sales and they want to have a price. Like you understand the product, but you understand the product of the product, that thing where the customer knows what they're, what it means to them. We get so caught about, well, here's this fertilizer, fertilizer, fertilizer. It's like, I don't give a damn. I want the result of that. And I think that's an important thing that maybe too many in, in any business, but even in ag don't get. Yeah, no no doubt.
2: Uh and, and that is that is a thing is at the end of the day, we're all trying to make sure what we should all be working toward is making sure the value hits that acre. Because if that acre is profitable and that grower's profitable, mm-hmm. the grower will never complain about your price if he feels like you did something that puts more money in his pocket than you took out of his pocket. And that's what you have to me that you have to be focused on.
0: Yeah. When you make, when you make other, when you make your customers money, then uh, then it becomes a lot easier relationship for you. What did we not cover here, Brian, that we should have when it comes to the whole ag inputs, we talked about the ag inputs industry. We talked about the business. We talked about everything from that standpoint. What did we miss anything?
1: You know, the only thing that I'd leave you with is the fact that AgriLiquid was an innovative company. We're always looking at opportunities. What's the next widget coming down the pike? You know, how, how can we make zinc uh, more efficient? Um, those are the things that Agroliquid focuses on. We only work with crop nutrients. Um, and I think that there are companies out there, as you look at chemistry companies, that's what they do. We stick to what
0: we do and we want to
1: stay in our lane.
0: Well, don't you think that what it really boils down to is if you're not, you're big and commodity or you're nimble and... Um, the next thing you're, you're nimble in the next thing or you're colossal in commodity. Galen, am I saying that right?
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right. You're either scale or your scope. We tend to be more in scope. And, you know, I think when you hit that you're going to be talking to a lot of our folks in Kansas city. And I think you know, the thing that our guys probably get tired of hearing me talk about is look, if you, if you don't want to be bypassed and be, if you don't want guys treating ag like Amazon you gotta invest in the elbow grease. When they're in Kansas City, they have to have that desire to learn how to make molybdenum work better, zinc work better, nitrogen work better. And fortunately, there's a lot of people that just don't want to go to that bother. So yeah. for those people that are willing to go to that bother, then there's still that that profit to be made.
0: And an opportunity. The worst of all worlds is when you're not big enough to be scale, and you're uh, and you're too lazy, but small to be nimble. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're kind yeah. of that's right you're kind of hung there i still want to milk 40 cows but i don't want to do it with organic and i don't want to bottle and i don't have a special story i'm like well you're going to compete with the the 4000 cow dairy that is going to outbuy you on every input by about 30% and then all of a sudden you have no margin same thing hey that's Brian Wow. and uh and Galen Beer with Liquor, we talked about the ag, retail, ag inputs, all things, agricultural inputs in the future. They have pretty smart dudes. What do you know? Anyway, um, I'm going to be, if you happen to be working with this company at that September 14th event in Kansas City, I'm going to be there. I'll be the kickoff 8 a.m. presenter talking about the Asians impacting agriculture. That is words that end with Asian and are going to be impacting our industry for tomorrow and the next several years. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us on, Damian. There, you bet. Thank Brian. And you know what? In case you're not watching this, because most of you are listening, Brian's got a really cool office with cool Western artwork and my two old bumper stickers from years ago from a conference that I did for him. Agriculture because <laughs> starvation sucks. Now, true now as much as it ever been. All right. Till next time. Thanks for being here on the Business of Ag. Hey, thanks for being here. This episode of The Business of Agriculture was brought to you by Pattern Ag. You've heard me talk about Pattern Ag because I think it's a pretty cool concept. New technology that allows you to predict the problems you're going to have and therefore treat them before those problems cost you money. What kind of problems am I talking about? Pests. Pests and disease. Things like cord rootworm, uh, sudden death syndrome, cyst nematode, and a whole bunch of other bad things that happen out there in the field that can cost you money. Guess what? Pattern Ag will let you find out ahead of time if the disease or the pest pressure is there, and therefore you're treating it before it costs you any money. What a great concept. Go to pattern.ag, that's www.pattern.ag to learn more about their product, their technology, how it can make you money, save you yield, and also also where you can find a rep that can come out there and do the work for you, pattern.ag.